Hi and welcome to the SFA podcast. This episode is the first of a special series where we host guests, players from across the PGM, battery metals and hydrogen value chains to discuss the latest trends and topics. In this informative and interesting discussion, Kimberly Berman, one of SFA's battery metals experts, is joined by Evolution Energy LLC, who are building the first new solar panelled carbon neutral cobalt processing facility in the United States. Thanks, Joel. I'd like to turn it over to Naved quickly to provide a brief introduction on Evolution. Thanks, Kimberly. My name is Naved Alam. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Evolution Energy LLC. We are based in Arizona, uh, Yuma County in the United States, and we are building the first new solar-powered carbon-neutral cobalt processing facility in the United States. We are already in process of uh, reconstruction starting to drill some wells, and we have received unanimous approval from the Yuma County Board of Supervisors to build this facility. We hope to take advantage of the growing demand for EV battery demand in the United States and the construction of new battery facilities for EV cars in North America. And we also hope to take advantage of the growing demand for cobalt metal, which has been classified as a critical material by the President of the United States. There is a requirement for strategic reserve for cobalt metal to be built in the United States and a large and growing demand for cobalt metal in the aerospace and defense industries. So that answers one of my next questions, which is why cobalt, but why now? And can you please provide a bit of your background? We have, have such a storied background in the area. Gil, Michelle Garcia is our uh, co-founder and general counsel, and he's on the call with us today. I used to work with Gil many, many years ago at a big law firm in New York. We went our separate ways. I went to start developing infrastructure assets in emerging markets. So specifically, I built grain terminals and oil terminals in Africa. Our first developments were in the port of Mombasa. And then we ended up trading oil and grain into eight countries in Africa. And then we came back to the United States and we built the first new export grain terminal in the United States in the U.S. Gulf in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So a lot of background developing uh, large infrastructure assets in and around commodities such as oil and grain. I reconnected with Gil when we set up an office in Mexico City. Gil was at that time special counsel to Grupo Mexico, which is a huge metals and mining company, one of the largest in the Western Hemisphere. Gil and I set up a trade for Grupo Mexico's copper concentrate to India where they had not been selling copper concentrate from Grupo Mexico for 20 plus years. Uh, And so we reopened that business for them. We then decided to go to the Congo, and this is back in 2018, to work on copper and cobalt. Turned out that cobalt was a more interesting commodity. We realized that the demand for cobalt from EV batteries and you know electric cars had just started to grow uh, exponentially. We realized there was zero cobalt processing in the United States and that all the cobalt that was being extracted in Congo and semi-processed into cobalt hydroxide in Congo was going to China and Korea and Japan and mostly to China for 
further processing. And then at that time, it would be just shipped back to the growing EV market in the United States. So we realized that this would be a great opportunity to build a facility that could take the cobalt hydroxide from the Congo directly to the United States, to our plant in Arizona, and where we would process it into cobalt sulfate that could be used for EV batteries. So we started to do that. We had land in Arizona that we were able to rezone, but we then got a lot of tailwinds from industry and government after we started the process. So so things have been going well. So what is the state of global cobalt supply chains, especially considering China's dominance in the area for both industrial and battery applications? The United States had offshored and outsourced its industrial base and manufacturing capacity to China over the last 30 plus years, you know, going back to uh, the 80s and 90s when, you know, the last cobalt processing facility in the United States shut down in 1984. And ever since then, all of this basic manufacturing and industry has been offshore to China. You know, in, in hindsight, we did it because we thought it'd be cheaper and uh, less environmentally of a, of a problem for us. Instead of building mm-hmm. it here, we'd build it over there. And it's come back to haunt us now because mm-hmm. we have offshored a lot of the basic uh, industrial manufacturing that used to happen in the United States. And we've become over-reliant on countries like China, which can now use their dominance in these critical material and metal supply chains to possibly extract concessions from us over other geopolitical issues that uh, we may have in the world. And, you know, you never want to be reliant on one country to provide them critical materials for cars and for other industries. We saw that with COVID, where you couldn't buy a car because there were no cars on the lots because they couldn't get the materials to build them from Mm -hmm. China when China shut down its ports related to COVID uh, issues. So that was a real wake-up call for the U.S. government and industry in the United States to start building back better, so to speak, and, Mm -hmm. you know, making America great again by starting to rebuild all these industrial uh, factories that were burnt out in places like Ohio and Kentucky Mm -hmm. and uh, all along the Ohio River. So it's all in all, it's been a, a really good restart for for industrial manufacturing in the United States, and we are happy to be part of that. So why Arizona? What was the permitting process like? You mentioned earlier that it was pretty good and that everything's been squared away and you had a lot of tailwinds in order to establish that site. And whether that site is a brownfield or a greenfield site. I will say Arizona is near and dear to us. My family has been there for the last 40 Mm -hmm. years in Yuma County. And so we already had significant amount of land in that area, and we were going to build an ethanol plant on that facility. Now, we had gotten it zoned and had found that it to be a logistically suitable place, right? It had access to the Interstate Highway. The property runs across Interstate Highway 8. It had access to the Union Pacific Railroad, the Sunset Line. The property runs across the railroad track. So logistically, we were in a good position. We were only three hours from the port of Ensenada. We were only like four hours from the port of Long Beach to receive our feedstock from Africa. It would have been quite easy and, and relatively cheap. We're in a place where we have excellent weather and excellent sunshine. 
uh, we're not going to be uh, frozen out uh, in Arizona. And, uh, you know, it's a great place to build factories using solar power. So that would have uh, also helped us to reach our carbon neutral goals. So Arizona, uh, Yuma County specifically, for those reasons, we started the project there. And then going onwards from there, we were able to rezone uh, the facility unanimous and get unanimous approval from the Yuma County Board of Supervisors for the project. They granted a special use permit for both the solar and the cobalt processing unanimously. So that's been very helpful. We've received support from Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema and from Governor Katie Hobbs, as well as the Arizona Commerce Authority. So Arizona has been very helpful and very supportive. And, you know, we've been working very well with them. That's great. Gil, you're based in um, Montreal. So why not Battery Valley in Quebec or maybe even Tennessee, where a lot of the OEMs are going? Thanks very much, Pim. Clearly, that was certainly a possibility, and there are many firms that are beginning to start up operations in Canada. However, for us, clearly the the, the benefits of the IRA were important. Uh, obviously, there was a competitive advantage to receiving the production tax credits, the investment tax credits, the federal grants, and potentially the federal loans available for the reconstruction of the industrial base in the, the battery material supply chain. So that was very attractive. And that, I think, made the United States more attractive than Canada for our purposes. And then once we made a decision that it was the United States that was most suitable and most profitable in terms of the help that we were going to get from the government, Arizona became the central spot, not only because we had the land, but because we had very direct and very strong uh, support of elected representatives. So that's what uh, what drove us there. But that does not mean that the battery supply chain is not integrated on a North American basis. So, for example, we will be processing cobalt hydroxide that comes from the DRC into cobalt sulfate. That cobalt sulfate will be sold to PCAM and CAM manufacturers, and others, precursor cathode active material manufacturers and cathode active material manufacturers that produce the material that goes into the cathodes, that then goes into the batteries, that then goes into the cars. And many of the PCAM manufacturers are actually in Canada. So one of our potential clients, GM POSCO, is setting up their PCAM and CAM facilities in Beckencourt, Quebec. Another one of our potential clients, Umacore, is setting up their PCAM, uh, CAM and battery facilities in Loyalist County, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And then another potential client, LG Energy Solution, Korean company is selling up a huge plant in Windsor, Ontario. Um, so there, many of our potential clients are effectively going to be located in Canada. Um, there are some PCAM plants in the United States. Uh, obviously, LG Chem has, has plants that, PCAM plants that it's building, I believe in Tennessee as well. So like the automobile sector, it will continue to be sort of an integrated um, supply chain in the U.S. and Canada. And I assume some pieces, the lower end pieces, will be continue to be made in Mexico, the less capital intensive, more, more labor intensive pieces of that supply chain. And you were in Washington recently. Do you think that a change in government will impact the momentum created by the IRA? 
I personally do not think a change of government will impact the IRA. The self-reliance push for the United States to be less dependent on countries like China is uh, is a bipartisan issue. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats have supported the tariffs on China, and Donald Trump put them in initially in his first term, and Joe Biden has continued them in his term. These new jobs and factories that are being built, the new jobs that have been created from these factories under the IRA are in all types of states, Republican and Democrat. So a lot of the new factories are being built in what are considered Republican states, such as uh, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio. So we would expect that those Republican states would continue to support factories mm-hmm. and investments and jobs in their states and for their for their people. So we think that both Democrats and Republicans would be continuing to support the current policies. One additional point. One of the interesting things about the jobs being created is that the jobs that are being created by the re industrialization of the U.S. industrial base for battery materials are jobs that don't require a high school education. So they tend to be Mm -hmm. jobs in factories that are mostly filled by the demographic that one would identify as MAGA. So middle-aged men without a college education that have generally not benefited in their local economies from well, good paying jobs and have not benefited from the globalization and the, Mm -hmm. if you like, elite east-west coast by coastal uh, growth of the United States, these plants are being built in mostly red states and are employing mostly the, the demographic that one would identify as MAGA. So it would seem to me illogical that this growth would stop, particularly given mm-hmm. who's, who it's benefiting, and most importantly, the fact that it's in the natural security of the United States. And we've seen that with the supply issues in the automotive sector a few years ago. You talked about skills. There's a skill shortage in the battery industry. How is the company planning to attract the necessary talent? Because making these products on a benchtop level is pretty easy. But then when you have to scale it up to the level, it takes a bit of expertise. Uh, Just a bit. (laughs) We're going to train them. So both of our engineers are civil engineers in an EPCM firm, which is M3 Engineering, is out of Tucson. And our metallurgical engineers who are designing the metallurgical process and building the equipment, uh, their U.S. headquarters are finished. It's Metso Autotech. They're based in Phoenix. So we are developing a training program with a local community college that would be drawn up by Metso Autotech, which would have samples of their equipment. And they would train local residents with, that don't have a college education. We would only require high school. Um, to learn how to operate this machinery and have a basic course in hydrometallurgic processing. So we think it's a it's a win-win for the community, you know, just so you get an idea of the differential salary that we're offering. Average manufacturing, industrial manufacturing salaries in Yuma County in 2022 were about $42,000 U.S. a year. Our budgeted salaries are in the vicinity of $70,000 a year with free training paid by the local state government. So it's a completely a win-win situation. That segues to my final question, as ESG, depending on who you talk to, is not exactly a good acronym these days. However, this is the social aspect that you're thinking of in building communities as part of that metric. 
But what the public perceptions around cobalt, particularly surrounding artisanal mining in the DRC, what is evolution's strategy to change that perception? Well, one of the most important things that you have to realize is that we source from the three largest non-Chinese producers in the DRC. And those three firms, uh, which are ERG, Glencore, and Trafigura, because they're European-based, have extensive ESG programs, and they already supply much of the European industry. So we are already basically partnering as supply partners with some of the top suppliers in the industry, with some of the top standards in the industry. I think that much of the problems in Congo related to child labor and artisanal mining have arisen because of two factors. One, as the price goes up, this stuff is so prevalent that people can just take a pick and, you know, go start digging some mm-hmm. land and they'll come up with something that of some value, depending on the price of cobalt and copper, uh, and then sell it by the sack. And then, you know, some some you know, not very mm-hmm. uh, formal players will take that and try to introduce it in the supply chain. It's much more difficult to do that when you have industrial facilities, right, where you're delivering the highest quality of the cobalt in the market to the top players in the market. So that's a good way of insulating. Obviously, we we are a signatory and have instituted a responsible cobalt sourcing policy that follows the OECD, the OECD requirements and initiative. Um, we have contractually made our suppliers guarantee that they will also be following those guidelines. And obviously, we would be retaining a firm on an annual basis to audit their uh, operations to ensure that they're complying with that rep and warranty. However, it's, as I said, it, for us, given who we're sourcing from and given the high, much higher quality of the material that we are sourcing from the players that we're sourcing them, the risk for us is, is lower. What can we expect for you in the next year? Yeah, we expect to start construction and break ground in terms of our facility uh, towards the end of 2024. So this year we expect to get going on uh, construction. And in 2026, we expect to be finished with construction. So it takes another somewhere between 18 and 24 months to finish construction. And so we expect to be fully operational at some point in late 2026, early 2027. We are discussing with some of our possible customers, as Gil mentioned earlier, companies like Umicore and Stellantis uh, and General Motors of when they will be uh, operational with their PCAM facilities in North America, uh, who would be buyers of our cobalt sulfate. And they've told us that Umicore, for example, you know, think they'll be ready in 2027 for cobalt sulfate from our facility, which dovetails nicely with our um, started production. Similarly, I think Stellantis and General Motors' uh, facilities in North America will be up and running around the same time, 2026 and 2027. So our timing is good for production. We're not too early and we hope to be not too late. That's great. Thank you very much today for your time, Naveed and Gil. And I look forward to having further discussions. Thanks for listening to this episode. A link to Evolution Energy's website will be left in the description below, as well as the LinkedIn profiles of Kimberly, Naveed and Gil. Until next time.